sometimes we're taking a poverty mentality into a wealthy environment. Mm. And so once you break the cycle of poverty, because survival has its has its heaven and has its hells. But yes. being able to break that cycle and go into a thriving state is huge because everything is not doom and gloom or there's hope, but you have to take the steps and be responsible to discover that hope. Welcome to Black Executive Podcast, where we share inspiration and actionable advice for Black creatives going pro. I'm your host, Jazz. With each episode, we'll chat with Black creatives thriving in entrepreneurship, corporate careers, and the nonprofit sector, all while building a network of Black creatives, six head nods apart. Enjoy the show, where the dreamers become doers and the aspiring become inspired. Let's get started. What's up, Black Executive fam? I'm your host, Jess, and today we're chatting with Kevin Young. Kevin's a financial educator, founder of the Common Sense Teacher, founder of the One More Movement, assistant principal, and co-host of the Wealth Effect podcast. Welcome to the show, Kevin. Hey, hey, hey. How's everyone doing? I hope everyone is doing well. Thanks for taking the time to talk with me today. I feel like this is a topic that's very important to the advancement of the Black community, and that's our children. So, you know, one thing that caught my attention about your work was one of your episodes um, about hiring your kids in business. And I think that there's a lot that we as professionals and especially professional creatives can learn about how to cultivate creativity in our children and how to also teach the entrepreneur side of business instead of teaching them to only be employees. Absolutely. I, I agree wholeheartedly. I remember um, when my journey first began, I actually worked for the government, the Social Security Administration, uh, exactly. Mm-hmm. And I would watch people retire into poverty, and I kind of wanted to find a way to pass down that generational wealth. I know it's a term that people use, you know, lightly or loosely, mm-hmm. yeah. but they don't really understand what that means from a, a building standpoint. Um, building generational wealth is a lot more different than just saying it. Right. Yeah, that that's so true. Like, and, and there's, I feel like there are certain words from a financial sense that have almost become like buzzwords that people throw out there and don't mm-hmm. really fully understand what that means and what it means to do that. So hopefully we can get a few of those questions answered today with your expertise. Uh, we can, we can most definitely. So can you talk to us a bit about your background and how you entered education? Oh, oh, so my story about the Social Security Administration was actually uh, where it all began. Um, I worked for the government, watched people retire into poverty. Um, I was going to get my master's in social work at the time um, to be more of a, a, I guess, a good public servant. But mm-hmm. also at the time, I was um, I was actually like a youth mentor. So I was kind of doing mm-hmm. everything at one time, but I realized that my impact on kids was a lot more greater than it was on adults. And so... Mm-hmm. That entire journey with the one more movement and really connecting that was watching people retire for, at the Social Security Administration. I made the decision to quit my job and mm. go 100 percent into, you know, teaching and educating people about financial literacy. Mm. OK, so it was really interesting seeing people at the end of their career, at the end of their like uh, earning potential at the, mm-hmm. well, coming close to it, you know, and then saying, OK, let me go back to the source. Let's go all the way back and Absolutely. see if I can fix it from there. Yeah, because I realized that working with adults um, can be difficult because adults are setting their ways already. 
Um, typically, I mean, you know, you, you have people that can't change. I don't want to, you know, preach a narrative that adults can't change. Yeah. But it's a lot more easier to pour into innocence than it is into ignorance. Mm. Yeah, I totally, I totally get that. And, and we've heard that, you know, that in the past. And, and it's almost, you know, like a mantra, the children are the future and all this. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to um, correct things in our society by starting with the youth. Mm-hmm. So that that makes sense. What was it about working with kids? Like, I know you, you kind of want to start at the source, but I feel like it's a gift to be able to work with children in that way because everyone mm-hmm. cannot do that. I I am limited in that space. <laughs> it's not a gift of mine. Um, so what what was it about kids and like the, the particular age groups that you work with? For, like the age groups I started working with was like middle school and up. So you had to be like 13 and, you know, 13 or 18. And it was, they understood my language. Language is how your spirit communicates with other souls. And so mm-hmm. I really, really found that I could communicate a lot easier and a lot more effective with children than I could with adults. And it's, and I, I still had impact in the, in the adults. So I don't want people to think that I'm, I don't work with adults, but mm-hmm. it's, it's something about working with kids and, and seeing their eyes light up when they have that aha moment, like that moment that they mm-hmm. got it. And so that was, that was the, um, the basis for me working with kids was really that aha moment in their eyes where it was like, I actually got it. I understand. Um, teach me more. And so mm-hmm. the desire to learn more was, was, was probably a driving force. Mm. Okay. So when you, when you work with kids, do you also go into like a heavy financial education with them or do you stick to more general topics? No, 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 no. I, I, I have, um, no, I, I, I give kids everything. So mm-hmm. when I left the Social Security Administration, um, I had started my program. And some of my first beginnings was actually I was I would, my program was in high schools. And so I was doing high school visits and also um, partnering with other like accounting firms and accounting programs in other states to mm. teach financial literacy. Um, I, looking back, one of my first um, and I haven't thought about this for years. One of my first very first connections was. Um, with I don't know if people know the Koch brothers, but they have they have a program called Youth Entrepreneurship or Youth Entrepreneurs all the way in Kansas. I think I can't remember back, but it's Kansas, Missouri. And that was like my first opening to working with kids. And I realized mm-hmm. this kids need games. And so the way you teach financial literacy to kids is you make it one big game. And that is mm-hmm. so effective, um, no matter if I'm in Kansas, Missouri or Arkansas, kids are kids. And so they were receptive to it. They learned and then we did our assessment at the end and they caught on to everything. And so I was like, this is the this is the method or the process to build to build that financial literacy into our youth. Hmm, that makes sense. I mean, and you see games like Monopoly, which has been, of course, hugely successful, mm-hmm. that it's, it's supposed to teach a certain degree of financial literacy. And you even see, is it Robert Kiyosaki who has the game? Yeah, he does. Yeah. He does. yeah. I, it's a fun game. I just the, 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 the issue with those games is they're, they're not created, nor do they use the jargon or the words that's conducive to black people. Mm. And, so, and so I was like, in order for this to, to grow the way, the way it is, I have to speak, of course, the language. And so mm-hmm. that was very effective. And also millennials, like we have a different language, too. So yes. those combined speaks to the next generation. So that was like the I guess the, you know, the, the, the foundation that I decided to go with because not only do we need the games, but we also have to be relatable and speak the language of our kids. 
Yes, I, you are speaking to my soul right now with this language uh, because that's the writer in me. And I feel like I'm always preaching, like be at work or with my freelance work, personal endeavors about speaking to your audience in language that they understand. Thanks. It's so Thanks. important to be able to effectively communicate. Absolutely. And so it's, it's important. And I feel like my, my background, me being from where I'm from, really carries into every negotiation or financial literacy program or educational class that I do because mm -hmm. kids, one thing about kids that I notice is that they have to trust you and kids can see the mm -hmm. truth in adults a lot faster sometimes. So mm -hmm. if they don't really fool with you, they're not going to fool with you. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I understand that. And you have to kind of connect with them. So um, I've, like I said, I don't, I don't, I did have a point in my career where I did work with kids for a short period of time. Um, and I've done like a lot of speaking mm -hmm. events with kids and whatnot, but like a daily basis, I, I don't know about that for me, but, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, but I noticed that like when you can say things and, and put it on a level that they understand, they really get the message and they can relate. And when you're being authentic, because you're right, they Absolutely. see through the BS and they are not going to be engaged. They're going to tune out. They might even meme you. Is this real? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So I have had my fair share of, of because you, you you know what I realized that all kids, just like all adults are not going to be receptive. But mm -hmm. the one, when I knew that I kind of made it amongst kids, like as far as my messaging, was when you know the so-called worst kid in the room became the best kid at the ga at at the game that we play, mm. and that's when I realized you have to scaffold the information not only through code switching but also through um, tapping into a different level of cognition. So mm. all of those things combined is what makes for an environment for people to learn. Yes. Yes, and, and I love how you said they're like the supposedly worst kid in the room, right? And I always question that when I, especially when I hear in our community that language like, "Oh, that child is bad," that kid he bad. What does that mean? You know, what what is a bad child? What is the worst kid? Like, it, what what is not? What need is not being met? What level <laughs> of attention is this child not getting? <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. You got you got a Maslow before you. I forgot the the, the educator term, but you got to take care of those basic needs. Yes. Before you can get to even educating a child. So if they're hungry, feed them. If yes. they come to school with dirty clothes, wash their clothes. If they mm -hmm. come come to school angry, provide an environment where they can, you know, calm down or, or not be so emotional in that moment. So mm -hmm. if you take care of that first, then you don't have to worry about all the other stuff coming with that, which is the behavior issues a lot of teachers have. Yes. Yes. A hundred percent agree with you on that. So, like thinking about working with kids, kids tend to have big imaginations and therefore they tend to be seen as naturally creative more so than adults because we kind of get locked in all these rules and mm -hmm. society and all that crap. So how mm -hmm. have you tried to cultivate that creativity in children through your work? You, you have to be open to allowing kids to be them full, like their full self without mm -hmm. any judgment or trying to change who they are when they're in that moment of creativity. Creativity sometimes is is killed because we want to control it. We want to mm. control the creativity. So we like, well, mm -hmm. don't think that way or or that that's not traditional. And so that's what really, really makes it hard for kids. And so if you can create an environment first of open um, where you can reciprocate ideas in a way that's non-judgmental or that's, that's non-controlling, then you can continue to cultivate that creativity and grow it to almost a limitless standpoint. But when mm. you try to go in and control it, 
you're saying to that kid that they're bad or what they're mm. doing is bad. So and, and kids take it that way. Kids are very, very good observers, but, yes. po- but poor interpreters. They inter- interpret things different. So, hmm. That is very interesting that you just you just had um, brought me back to a parenting moment, a conversation that what I had with my child earlier. And I could tell that she was receiving what I was saying. But when she was, you know, repeating it to me, she wasn't interpreting it the way that I was hoping (laughs) she would. And that's resonating with me right now. Absolutely. (laughs) Comprehension is the key to communication because we could say things in all the different ways we know how. But if that person isn't comprehending what we're saying then it's almost like you, you, you're not speaking that language. So, mm. but if you create an environment to where that comprehension is not killed before you get to them comprehending it and you're not judging them, then they're going to be able to reciprocate that back to you in their own way. And so I just, I'm mm. patient. It takes a lot of patience. It does. Yeah, definitely. I think any anytime you're dealing with a child, it requires a lot of patience being a parent, but especially when you are like in an education role, you know. Absolutely. Because not only are you responsible for your child, but everyone else's child. Yeah, yeah. I, and, and I have my own, my own little man. So it's mm-hmm. just, and and then and then when you have your own children, it's almost like you can go practice a little bit before you get to the classroom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I I can see that. Uh, some of the speaking engagements I've had with kids, I will practice with my with my girls first. Mm-hmm. You know, like you know, I had to recently. I did an engagement. And I had to explain to a group of. Uh, tech aspiring girls what I did at work and my job is hard for adults to understand let alone children so I mm-hmm. really my kids are getting things that day I was like so do you understand what this means when I say <laughs> this <laughs> absolutely absolutely so on the business side how do you begin to teach kids the ins and out of business and entrepreneurship without you know like you just said stifling that creativity or taking the fun out of it number one you have to create you have to teach them the rules of the game uh, we live in capitalism, and there's so mm-hmm. many people who try to fit socialism into a capitalist into a capitalistic system, mm-hmm. um, and uh, you you playing the wrong game. Like, period. Like, those are two different. Um, I say economic, you know, const- economic sources, but capitalism mm-hmm. is its own thing. I mean, capitalism is basically when someone tries to capitalize on your lack of knowledge, whether that be selling your item you don't know how to make or mm-hmm. charging you for a service that you don't know how to do. Those are the two mm-hmm. ways you make money in capitalism. And so you have to teach them the rules of the game first. But again, you have to do it in a way where it it taps into their subconscious. So mm-hmm. um, I had the opportunity to go to this event in Tulum, Mexico, um, a while back. It was called um, Money in You. And that experience allowed for me t- to learn how to tap into that level of cognition. These This program was the same program that Robert Kiyosaki went to. And hmm. so after I learned that part, I was like, this is how I'm going to bring this back to the kids where I'm from. And so hmm. that was that was like the the genesis of, 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 you know, being able to tap into that next level with kids. OK, OK. So you kind of went and learned some skills and, and now you come back and you're ready to uh, teach them more things. Can you talk about um, maybe like an activity or an exercise that you've done with kids to help them kind of understand business strategies? Got you. So um, I'm going to use this. In, I, I got an investment game and a tax game I play with kids. But in the investment game, um, I was with a group of um, I, I'm in a juvenile detention center, too. So I was with a, a group of kids who who were, I guess, you know, locked up mm-hmm. and we were playing an investment game. And so with the investment game, what we do 
is we'll take um, like different things and attach it to like an animal. So we'll take stocks and attach it to a horse or we'll take sheep and attach it to a mutual fund or we'll take um, those normal things that everyone knows about and attach it to a complex term. And mm-hmm. during that investment game, the game is going in the, in a sense where it's saying, hey, um, your team just won. I mean, your team just got two thousand dollars in stocks and that, and that, that particular team will get two thousand dollars. But the reason they got so much money is because they took more risk, because when you invest in stocks, then you're taking more risk. Mm-hmm. And then we'll go on the other side where we'll say, hey, your team just got, just got awarded uh, four hundred dollars, which that's attached to mutual funds. So taking those two concepts and attaching it to like things that people know every day and then making a game where you have winners and losers, all of that mm-hmm. goes into educating kids because they're competitive. Everyone, almost mm-hmm. everyone is competitive. You know how some people that's not competitive, but for the most part, it's competitive. Capitalism mm-hmm. is a lose or win game. So we're teaching about yeah. capitalism. And then not only that, but we're changing their mindset as it relates to money and teaching them about risk assessment and all those different things. Hmm. Okay. That that sounds like an, a game that adults need also to play. <laughs> Especially they do. They do. They do. Okay. They do. Okay. Because I know, uh, I know um, there are some really complex topics when you get into like taxation and understanding investing. And there are some concepts that you can grasp fairly quickly and some that's just like, you really got to dig I, deep into them. I get it. Cause we play a tax game. Cause I, I have a tax firm too. And we play a tax game and we, and we break down if a person only had a job, how much they were paying taxes versus someone who has a job and a business mm-hmm. and paying taxes. And so with the tax game, we'll say, Hey, you graduate from college, you know, but you got seventy thousand dollars in student loans, and you just go find a job. But the one thing that people don't realize in capitalism is that if you only have a job, you are losing on over five hundred tax deductions. Mm. Goodness, <laughs> it's a lot. That's a lot. It's yeah. a lot of money. My dad um, went through one of my games, the tax game. And at the end of the tax game, my dad had lost about $400,000 over his lifetime due to taxes alone. My dad is in his almost 60, well, in his 60s, like 61 oh now. But imagine what you could have did with that 400000 for the next generation had you known the rules of the game. My goodness. Wow. See, yeah, we're going to have to have like a consultation <laughs> when we're done with this. <laughs> so that kind of that kind of reminds me of something else that you said uh, one of your episodes that I caught a few months ago talking about, you know, the the um, uh, importance of employing your kids in your business mm. and, and that is like a, a tax strategy as well. So without going, I know that you have like a whole episode dedicated to this, but could you uh, summarize some of that? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So um, I summarize it in three parts. Like, number one, um, the IRS and the tax tax code is written, has rules and specific rules on hiring your family. So everyone can go to IRS.gov and look this up. Like everything I'm saying is is public information. So Mm -hmm. hiring your family, you actually can hire your family and also take a tax deduction of up to $12,000 without having them, you know, pretty much report their taxes and have to pay taxes on that. So Mm -hmm. The first thing I tell people to do is, again, know, know the rules. Number two, um, when you hire your children, give them a job title. Don't just hire them and be like, well, you're just going to sweep floors. No, when someone sweeps floors, they're, you know, they have a certain title that comes with that. Or when someone mm-hmm. creates social media posts, there's a title that comes with that. Or when someone answers the phone 
and um, or, you know, types of documents. It's a title that comes with that. So give them a job title and job description because you want to do everything legally, morally and ethically. Mm-hmm. So that's number two. Number three, really, really, really. And, th- and this is so important. Get your mindset around building wealth. From jump, like building wealth is not a sport or it's not something that you can do just when you feel like it. It's an everyday game because think about it. In the morning when we get up, these companies, these huge companies are saying it's game time. I mean, I'm going to market to you. You're going to come to my store and buy. But you have to wake up with that same mentality and say it's game time. I have to protect my assets. And so Mm. get get in the mindset of building wealth. Wow. Now that that's something. And you're right. When you wake up in the morning, you turn on that phone, notification, notification. <laughs> Nonstop. Yeah. Buy this, engage with this, read this. Even mm-hmm. free, you know, free information. You won't realize if there is no product, you are the product. And yep. before the social dilemma, you should already know that. You know, like yep. so Absolutely. you got your eyeballs on something, somebody's tracking that and they're shipping up those analytics to somebody so mm-hmm. that they can buy them. <laughs> Facebook been doing it for years. Like Facebook, oh, yeah. been up. I'm I'm a tech person. I'm I'm an assistant principal, but I'm also like the assistant principal of our virtual school. Oh, so okay. Understanding Facebook algorithm is it, when you see when you see it from a tech a tech person standpoint, you're like, man, y'all mm-hmm. y'all literally just made y'all made these people want this item because y'all got everything y'all needed to sell it to. Them. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. I like I'm in the the industry, so I know. Exactly yeah. what you're talking about. With <laughs> um, it, it's it's you know not to go like on a on a too much of a tangent, but like when the social dilemma came out at first, I was like, I'm not even going to watch that. I work in the industry; I already know, I already yeah. know what they're talking about, you know. But um, you know, some people that I work with kept saying, you know, well, you know, still just watch it. There's some interesting um takes, but it, you know, there's a documentary that came out a few years back called The Persuaders back in like '09. I think mm-hmm. it was like an ABC, but I'm it talked about. It it talked about Axiom, which is based in, you know, Little Rock Cohen. back when it was, Cohen, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, back when it was really big. It's kind of shrunk down UCA. now. I went to UCA, so yeah. Oh, yeah. So you know that how they used to have a file on every person in the United yeah. States and projections on where you, what you were going to do with your life based yeah, on data. I, I, remember, <laughs> I remember reading an article when I was at UCA. Uh, my, my instructor told me this about Target. And how they could almost predict when a woman was pregnant. Yes. <laughs> and what sent what send you would give you the news with, with the with the man that you pregnant before you know. <laughs> yep. It's it's crazy, but that's that's the world we live in. And I think that's why podcasts like this are important is to tell the truth about the industries that we both from. Yeah. Um and and not do it in a way that's gonna try to hide anything, but be transparent and let people make their own decisions. Exactly. And I think I think that's the thing, like, you know, and I, I can't think of the other documentary that came out to my listeners. I'll post it in the show notes. But there's another one that came out maybe two years ago, no, maybe a year ago that also talked about, you know, the fight to just for that transparency, just to say, like, hey, we know you have all this data on us. We just want to see the file. Yeah. I just want to see the file of information that you have on me. Tell me what's going to happen in my life since, you know. <laughs> a good show to see that in real time for me has been persons of interest and mm. that guy on there he took every data point that you get from a, a I guess on, on on different sites and different things that you look up and he did it to I'm gonna save your life in a sense so it was it's a good show so mm. yeah. 
Yeah, I think I caught a few episodes of that a while back, but I don't think I stuck with it, but might have to check that back out since, you know, pandemic is bringing out a lot of uh, old shows and whatnot. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) So you can only work on your business for so long for your brain. It's like, I need a break. You can't. You're right. You're right. (laughs) All right. So kind of get us back uh, a little bit on topic here. So what are some of the most important financial issues that you think impact the black community? Number one, we 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 don't play the game of mm. capitalism. Like we 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 haven't played it in so many years that we become almost null and void to the game, other than being capitalized on. Mm. Um, consumerism to me is a big big issue in the black community, and it's and it's not it's not our own fault to an extent. Um, but once you once you find out, and once you're no longer um, naive to it, you have to then take the steps to build it for your family. So number one, I, I say ignorance or a lack of knowledge um, mm-hmm. is, is one. And number two, we don't invest. We, we don't invest our money. Like mm. right now there's an index fund that everyone can go get. And this is something that everyone can go um, Vanguard index fund. You can take your mm-hmm. money and either pace with the stock market. And just that alone can change the, the trajectory of your family from having investments. So we don't invest enough. Um, I, I would say socially and also financially, like mm-hmm. we need more people who are going to be mentors and um, do things for our kids, kids or for each other to mentor us into a level of knowing. And mm-hmm. so those, those are kind of kind of connected. The um, lack of knowing and then also not making the proper investments. And then I would say finally. For me, this is one of my biggest hurdles. Um is when you grow up in the hood and you grow up around poverty and you develop a survival mentality, you mm. take that, men- that mental state into every one of your um, negotiations or every one of your interactions with people. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes we're taking a poverty mentality into a wealthy environment. Mm. And so once you break the cycle of poverty, because survival has its, has its heaven and has its hells. Yes. But being able to break that cycle and go into a thriving state is huge because everything is not doom and gloom or there's hope, but you have to take the steps and be responsible to discover that hope. Yes, that is so important. That survivor's mentality, it, like collectively as a people, we have just been stuck there. We've mm-hmm. just been stuck. We're always in survivor mode i mean and not without good reason like it's a good Mm -hmm. reason for that we have a lot of things that we have to constantly be aware of and and protect ourselves of and um you know some things have changed and some things have not unfortunately so yeah i totally i totally understand that and that just has been such a hurdle for so many things for us especially when it comes to money yeah it's almost like we got to write a book the pedagogy of being black so we can so we come on now come on now (laughs) Teach others like I, I feel like right now what we're doing is we either you know teaching like ignorant people in the United States or we have to teach each other too. But there's yeah. a pedagogy to that, and that's the I feel like the next ten to twenty years that's that's where we're gonna be is is almost teaching others about what it means to be black because they're interested now mm-hmm. and they have a, a, a interest in it. But mm-hmm. also on the other side of that, just in the classrooms, minorities are the majority now. Like inside of my classrooms, yeah. I have. You have minorities. That's the majority. Like we have more, more um, black Asians, Hispanics versus whites, and so mm-hmm. being unapologetic about that 
and speaking truth to power. Um, that's that's just what it is. And so we got to be prepared to capitalize on this next 20 years because it's cool to be black now. <laughs> right. <laughs> it, it is. I mean, and that's and that's so, you know. Um, on point that you say that. And I noticed that the, the text um, Pedagogy of the Oppressed has been coming up a lot in conversations with everything that's been going on with like the Black Lives Matter movement. And now you have the LGBTQ movements and then you have the um, Me Too movement. So, you know, I've been I've been seeing that reference a lot as well. But I definitely see like we definitely need like a, a pedagogy on Black in America life like <laughs> you know yeah, we, we do. really do <laughs> well it's I, I feel like we feel that way because so many other races have controlled our narrative and we, and we and we haven't had control over it, mm. like at all and I think social media kind of made a levelized playing field in that way where we control our own narrative but mm-hmm. because, because of the, the stuff that we go through in poverty we're destructive sometimes in our nature because it's all we know yeah but, but, but we have to learn how to build we have to learn how to build each other up and build our community up Yes, yes. And I'm loving this buy back the block type movement um, that, is, that is happening. And I hope more of us get on that wave and start investing more in our community. I know that Jay-Z line resonated with so many people, but they they forgot, you know, in his song, Still Nigga, when he was like, yeah. please don't die yeah. over the neighborhood that your mama rent in. Like, um, Absolutely. The, the, the dopest bar ever. I, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. That one, that, that that one was my the dopest one. My favorite bar was when I can't remember the, the exact bar, but when he was on that Meek Mill song with Rick Ross, um, like that that whole scheme that he did at the end of that song, mm-hmm. he, he had like a triple entendre one time. I was like, man, now that's it right there. But I can't remember the bar. But it's one of my, I'm, I'm gonna go back and listen to it when we get off because it's one of my favorite lines from him. I just can't remember it right now. Yeah. Um, but 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 Jay Z says a lot of um a lot of things almost secretly. He speak our language, so he yes. says it directly to us. So he a genius in that way. Yes, and I, I appreciate the the rappers who were able to get out of that survivor's mentality and are able to be impactful in the community and make big moves. And so often that doesn't happen. Um, I had a, a guest on the show earlier this season. He was actually my first episode, um, MJ, and he works for Def Jam. And he talked about like the average rapper's career span is like two years, if you're lucky. Yeah, it's not long if you're lucky. It's not long and, you know, and, and if yeah. you're not, like you said, investing your money properly, if you're not learning how to play the tax game, you're going to uh-huh. lose. And, and you know what? I, in my program, I also showed the movie called um, Broke. It's about athletes who lose all their money. Ooh. So it, it kind of breaks down the mentality that people have when they do get into come into a lot of money, but they're not prepared to receive mm. it. And so I show that documentary also as part of our game because you have to let people see that yes, you can have the I guess the fruits of knowing how to how to operate in capitalism, but it also comes with responsibility. Mm-hmm. And if you don't take responsibility for it, somebody gonna come get come get, get what you got. Yes. So. Yes, that is so true. There's always somebody with their hand out ready to take every dollar (laughs) that you have. Yes, willingly. Like, yes, please give me all of your money. (laughs) Absolutely. Okay, so I know you spoke a lot about investing. What with everything that's going on with COVID nineteen, um, at the time of this recording, we are still in the midst of a pandemic. So if you're lucky enough to catch us two to three years in the future, glad that you're having a good time because we're not. 
Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, what's your what's your take on like investing right now? Because I know it's such a turbulent market. And, you know, you have some people that are like, invest right now, you know, grab it up. This is smart. And some people are like, no, not it's not a good time. Some people are just like on the fence. Yeah. And, and you know what? Um, when you have bull and bear markets um, and those are those are investment terms. But right now you have to understand everything is on sale. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like when you go into a store, your favorite store and they had like I, I went to Express about two or three months ago and I walked in and they had like pants, shirts and everything for like ten dollars. Mm-hmm. Like I was like not an Express, you know, Express is forty dollars. Right, yeah. <laughs> so. so um, you go in just like you go into the stock market and you find the best sale and everything is on sale right now. So you can buy more for less. Mm-hmm. So versus getting one pair of pants, you can get 20 pair of mm-hmm. pants. So, but, 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 but you can't jump out there and just do it ignorantly and not, and not know what you're doing. Um, there are some books and I, I send them to you that way you can, you know, put it out. But I recommend people read two or three books on investing before they, they jump out there and do it. Because mm-hmm. um, if you have two people in a room, the person who knows, and the person who doesn't know, um, it's only going to be one loser. And that's the person that knows more than you do. Mm. And so you, you you have to do your research and um, and get the information you need because just because something is on sale doesn't mean it's, it's a good thing to buy. So mm. I recommend people just find things to invest in while everything is on sale right now. Buy more of it. Mm-hmm. That way, when the market recovers, you have you, you have more shares, but your price goes up. Yes. That, that makes sense. So for newbie investors, I know a lot of these new apps have popped up that people are getting into like Robinhood and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, do you, mm-hmm. how do you, what are your, what's your opinion on those? Do you think those are a good way to get started? Do you think they're a waste of money? I, I hear a lot of controversial thoughts on those. I think, I think before, before you, before people can get used to investing, you have to build up the behavior of investing. So you have to build the behavior of people saving money and them seeing their savings grow first. Hmm. So once you build that behavior up, Robinhood and all that are okay for to, to start. But what it takes to keep going, and, and this is for any um, large bank, they're gonna they're they're gonna find a way to charge you so many fees and take so much of your money if you're not careful with fees. Mm-hmm. And so it's always best if you can learn how to do it on your own, or if you make so much money where you can pay someone to do it, I recommend those two things because Robinhood and all those, they're going to charge you a lot of fees. Mm-hmm. And so you have to understand what, what those are. I think you get dividends, dividend statements. I think some of my tax clients get dividend statements from Robinhood. Mm-hmm. But you're, you're not going to get a high return because you're not taking much risk. So mm-hmm. 1% or 2% um, is not ideal because you can get that in, in, in a savings account at a bank. Mm-hmm. But learning and teaching someone how to get 10 or 12% is a whole lot better. And that's how banks make their money. Mm-hmm. That's how banks make their money. You go in and you put, you know, Twenty thousand dollars into a savings account. They give you one percent on that, and then they turn around and find ways to create um, larger percentages for themselves, such as loaning it out to other people, charging them higher interest rates, or even um, do something called what's called fractional reserve lending, where for every thousand dollars you put in the bank, they can lend it out up to ten times. Mm. And so that's the part that people don't understand is that there's someone playing with your money, but are you making money from them playing? Mm. Man, look, if that's not enough for y'all to want to go follow him on every single platform to get this knowledge, <laughs> I don't know what to tell y'all. Stay tuned towards the end because we're going to plug all of his handles so y'all can follow. Because right, thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm definitely, I'm like, wait, let me too. We I, we need to talk. 
<laughs> All right. So, and, and, and I got I gotta say that I am not a financial advisor. I have to say that because mm-hmm. you can get in trouble that way. I, I chose to be a financial educator so I can speak this truth without having the implications or the um, the responsibility that some of my friends have because they're financial advisors. Mm. So, yeah, and that's the question I was going to ask you if if you are um, actually a financial advisor. So, um, very interesting. Do you recommend that? Uh, everyone have a financial advisor? I know some people say you should. Some people say only if you make a certain amount. What are your thoughts about that? Um, it, it depends on that individual. Because I, I know there's some people out there who can do their own advisement, um, you know, uh, or advise for themselves because they have the the mental capacity to do so. Mm-hmm. I'm not, not saying that people, if, if you don't, you don't have the mental capacity, but I feel like some people should do it do it themselves. I know I have um, over the years. I learned everything from zero. Mm. So I went through all the bumps in the road, lost money, um, take risk. Um, even in business, I've lost money. But but you, but I feel like if you if you can do it for yourself, um, you can check the checker. And what I mean by that mm. is, is if in the beginning you can self-educate yourself, when you do go get a financial advisor, they won't take advantage mm. of you. The, yeah. the biggest problem with most people going out and hiring a financial advisor is they don't check the checker mm-hmm. and you have to check him and create some type of internal control. But if you don't know what he's doing or she's doing with your money, then how can you check them? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, that's always been like a concern of mine. I've had a financial advisor in the past and was like, what do I know what you're doing with my money? Cause I know a little, mm-hmm. I don't know that much. That's why I need you. You know, so, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I'm like, mm, let me go back. Let me, let me go back to the gate and see what I can do. Mm-hmm. myself. The, the the biggest piece of advice I got from a financial advisor and from some of my financial friends was that always look at your return on investment. Mm-hmm. That's really all that matters at the end of the day. What are you making off your money? Mm-hmm. What's that percentage rate? If it's if it's eight percent or less, you probably need to find another advisor. Mm-hmm. That's all I'm gonna say. Yeah, I say checking RI is important for every single thing that you do. If you are not getting right. a return, even it when it comes down to like I know this is a creative center podcast, when it comes down to your art. You know, if mm-hmm. you if you are putting out art for the sake of creating art and you're not looking to just monetize, you just want to put it out there. What are you getting in return? Are you getting an emotional investment? Are you being emotionally fulfilled? Do you feel like you're, mm-hmm. you're giving back to the community? Like, what are you getting back in return? So it's just draining you and you're not getting anything financially. Absolutely. You're not getting anything emotionally. What are you doing? <laughs> and, and you know what? That's, that's why I feel like it's good to have a good team around you mm-hmm. um, in that way. Because I, I realize that we're creators. I, I'm, I'm a creator in the educational space. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times with creators, we just we just live to create. Yes. Like, we just want to create. Mm-hmm. So we don't think about anything else but creating. And we got to have that balance with someone that says, no, you need to be compensated yes. from an energy level or from a financial level for your creation. Yes. And yeah. that is literally the premise from which this podcast is based. Literally. What I thought. <laughs> I was like, I know so many creators and I'm a creative and we want to do this. We want to do that. We want to create this art. We want to do all of this and we want to show the world. But are you monetizing it? Are you maximizing it? for the mm. best return, you know? So, you know, and and I, I feel like a lot of us, we will get into a career doing something else and then create on the side and then mm. always be torn because you hate your career, but you want to create. It's like, you can make your career your art, your work. You can, you can. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. I agree completely. Because that that was actually how I got an education. I was doing my, my programs on my own before, mm-hmm. And I was at a, I went to a library and I saw a fellow creator at a library and I was like, I'm just going to go talk to him. So I went and talked to him. I was like, what do you do for a living? Just random. This was random. Mm-hmm. Almost like that Nipsey Hustle scene where 
he talked to the guy who um, is in technology. I can't think of his name, but that guy's freaking smart, like a genius. Um, but you just go, sometimes, you know, your soul is pulling you to a, a person mm-hmm. in that way. So I just went to ask, I said, what are you doing? She said, I'm a teacher. And I was like, I want to become a teacher. And she, mm-hmm. and she gave me um, a step-by-step way to become a teacher. And within a week, having no teacher certificate um, certification, having no experience being a teacher, I landed a job at a, at a school within a week. Wow. So it's almost like when you're in alignment, um, everything works out for your best interest. Yes. Get in alignment. So important. So important. I'm not going to get on my spiritual stuff today. Let's just know. <laughs> I get all on chakras and the energy and all that. I'm holding one of my crystals right, right. now. <laughs> Look, I need to start putting one next to me when I'm recording. I need I need that. <laughs> Especially recording after work sometimes. The energy kind of low. I mean, yeah, I'm already knowing. Yeah. I'm already knowing. All right. So as we get ready to wrap up, I know one thing we've talked about is financial freedom. And we hear that a lot in pop culture. It's almost become a buzzword. Um, can you talk a bit about what financial freedom means um, from your perspective and what does that look like for a black business owner and providing for their black family? I, I want to give people numbers and I'm, I'm going to answer your question with like a uh, what it means to, to have that feeling too. Mm-hmm. So from a number standpoint, and everybody can go look this up, at a certain number, you stop getting the feeling of joy with money. And that number in America right now is between seventy-five and eighty thousand dollars a year for a person. Mm. That that means that you can get up, you can go, you don't have any worries about um, not being able to eat, not being able to kind of go get the car you want to get. Your your lifestyle can be fully realized for a lot for most people at around eighty thousand mm. dollars. So I want I want to that that's, that's been a study that's been done over years. But the feeling of freedom is let's say for instance right now you're a teacher dealing with COVID nineteen. And you was like, you know what? This system is so flawed in that it's affecting my mental state. Um, having what's called FU money to say, you know what? I'm going to take a break for a while mm. and, and come back when I feel like it. Not, not because I'm losing, not because I don't have any money, but when I feel like coming back and fooling with y'all, then I come back. Mm-hmm. That's freedom. Like going into your job and saying, man, you know, F y'all, I, I, I can go do this and be just as fine. It's a, it's a level of freedom that comes with that. Mm-hmm. And so being financially free is not a number per se, it's more of, of you being prepared to deal with anything in capitalism where you can say, this is not in alignment with my purpose or it doesn't align with my character. I can't, I can no longer be successful at this. So let me just go do what I want to do. Mm-hmm. That's freedom. That's freedom. Yes. I wholeheartedly agree with that. And, and being able to comfortably walk away from something mm-hmm. or I know um, a lot of times we talk about especially with everything that's been going on with the Black Lives Matter movement as of late you know maybe being vocal in your workplace and that being you know not reciprocated with support you know so and now you're in a situation where you're like do I want to continue to work here or maybe they decide they don't want you to work there anymore mm-hmm. you know and being able to say you know what what I believe in matters more than what I, y'all giving me yeah I actually had the I have the opportunity to work for an organization that's a that's a black it's one of the one of the only black charter schools that's successful in DC and success it's been quite you know a success here mm-hmm. in Arkansas. But I'm an assistant principal there, and it's way different when you can go into work and not worry about having like the the typical white guy haircut yeah. or having a cold switch because you're around you know Susie today. <laughs> what right, you want to say right. that burden that black people have when they have to go be 
almost like an imposter. Mm -hmm. It's 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 a real thing, but me working for an organization that's black, um, it it makes a big difference in your psyche. And so mm -hmm. I get it when you when you say going and having a Black Lives Matter conversation is different when you go into a room full of white people versus going to a room full of people who understand it on a on a micro level. Yes. Yes, that is that is so important. And, you know, if, if you're able to work in those type of environments, that is such a, an honor and fulfilled environment. If you're not, you know, deal with, with how you can and focus on that financial mm -hmm. freedom so that you don't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you asked me a question earlier about um, what it means for owner. It's really ownership. Like the reason that we have to go explain ourselves to to white people in our work environments because we don't own the place that we go and explain mm. it. So, so ownership is top down. If, if I'm, if I'm black and I own a business, of course you're going to see me in that business, mm -hmm. but we don't own anything. So when we go to these places to get these jobs, we don't see ourselves in that, in that business. We have to kind of, you know, be a, um, make ourselves fit yes. versus just being a perfect fit for it. So mm, now that's something right there. Make ourselves fit. If that's not the truth, going into these workplaces and you know having to adapt, even in the interview, you know, I was having a really a really mm -hmm. good conversation the other day about like if a brother shows up for an interview in a hoodie, is that professional? Mm -hmm. And it got into this conversation of respectability politics and all that BS and like, does it matter? <laughs> I didn't see folks come in, non-black folks come in with wet hair and flip-flops and get hired. And you want to you wanna be on my man's head because he got on the hoodie? Okay. Yep, that, that's, that's what it is. <laughs> like, I, I have a friend right now. We, we're in this, well, she, well, I'm finishing up my master's program in educational leadership right now. Like, I'm done Congrats. Thank you, thank you. But she she experienced something similar to what we're talking about, where she wore a fro. She had a fro, mm. and that fro uh, was was scrutinized by a, a white lady that was saying that's unprofessional. And I'm like, I'm thinking mm -hmm. like, lady, it's 2020. So she sent an email saying that, that 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 your fro is unprofessional for this environment. We want our people to be held to the higher standard standards. And I'm Ooh, thinking, guy. why? Yep. And I was thinking like, why is your standard the only standard? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's I think that's one of them situations where I would have had to challenge and lose my job and go to the uh equal employment opportunity office because yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm not I'm yeah. a, I'm not having that. I'm a I'm a black woman with red locks. You're not about to come with Petersons. You're not about to tell me about how I'm gonna come up in here looking. As long as I'm doing my job, you're gonna sign that check. <laughs> that's how it should be. That's how it should be. Yeah, yeah. But um I I'll get on a whole nother rant about <laughs> about that. So we already talked a lot about like your work and its its impact in the community. So what final advice do you have for, you know, entrepreneurs or even corporate professionals that are trying to step out and, and gain more financial freedom? What advice do you have for them? Man, first first I would say like Whatever money you make, put ten percent back for yourself. Mm -hmm. Like, put that put that ten percent into an account and just keep on letting it roll into that account. That's like that's number one because you have to like most most companies don't survive because they have negative cash flow. Mm -hmm. Same thing with your personal life; you have negative cash flow, so you have to create a positive cash flow cycle mentality and system first. Then, once you get used to creating a positive cash flow cycle, you then take that same mentality and put it towards your business another positive cash flow cycle. 
So it's a book called From Good to Great. Um, mm. And it's called The Hedgehog, Hedgehog Effect, to where once you start on a path with finances, including and in business, it's like a flywheel. It's going to keep on turning, but you have to give it enough of a push in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And creating that positive cash flow cycle is a push that corporate executives or um, educators at the highest level just need to make. Because once you get into business, you almost don't have that parachute anymore if, if, if you decide to transition the business full time. But if you don't have the mentality mm-hmm. of building a, a positive cash flow cycle up, your business is going to lose money. Um, number two, keep great records. Bookkeeping. Mm-hmm. I cannot stress enough how much money people lose from having a business, whether you're, cor- you're corporate and you also have a business on the side. They don't keep records and they think that they're hiding from the from the IRS. And I'm thinking in my mind, why are you hiding? You mm. you you telling what you're doing is actually going to save you more money. Mm-hmm. So, so so keep proper records. And then finally, I be willing to, to take that risk. It's, it's not easy. I would be lying if I told you when I first decided to leave working for the government and go full-time entrepreneur that it was an easy uh, cycle. It wasn't. Um, I had my pitfalls, but you have to build up enough mental fortitude to keep pushing through. Mm. So so just, just, just take that risk, but take a calculated risk. Hmm. That's important, a calculated risk. Yeah, definitely. Make sure that you have the numbers on your side. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. So you just recommended a book. Do you have any other books that you want to recommend as a past read, a current read, or just something you just want to, you think people should read? Oh, man. Um, past read, my favorite book that I read before was The Four Agreements, which that's a book that's going yes. around right now. Like, yes. Um, that that book, when I first picked up Don Miguel, like I went and read his stuff and his son's stuff. So mm-hmm. um. So I, I would recommend reading all of, you know, I think it's Don Miguel. So The Four Agreements, The Five Attachments is another mm-hmm. one. Definitely read that if you're looking for, like, um, spiritual, spiritual you know, guidance. Um, if you're looking for more mental, pick up a book by Carl Jung. Um, his books are really, really good for dealing with your psyche and mm-hmm. doing the shadow work that you need to do to deal with that other side Come of Come on, shadow so, work. Yes. Come <laughs> on now, spiritual. Come on now. That, that's they don't so, know nothing about that. Y'all need to get on that shadow work. That's gonna get you together. Yeah, man. The, the, I, Kevin is my is my original, but the shun is my shadow. So, so. <laughs> I love it. We gave shadow the name. <laughs> All right, it's my middle name. So. Ah, okay. <laughs> but um, um, that that would be what I recommend. You know, from a mental standpoint, anything with Carl Young spelled J U N G. Really, really good, good person. Um, my next book I recommend will be from good to great because I feel like um, people that listen to this podcast already have a certain level of um, success mm-hmm. um, as it relates to, you know, you having it, I ain't gonna say a type A personality, but but we get stuff done. Yes. But do. you only success if you perform a successful act and you have to do that over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. So going from good to great is a leap um, that most people don't make. But if you can make that leap, um, man, it's it's a lot better on the other side. Yes, those are all powerful texts. I'm familiar um, with some of them, and I will definitely be dropping links to those in the show notes for y'all to check them out. Oh, one more, one more book. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's Human Human Behavior by Robert Greene. Mm-hmm. That book was amazing because it it shows a historical reference uh, over time of like how human behavior interacts with social systems. Mm-hmm. 
and I think it's called Human Behavior. He also did a book with 50 Cent called The 50th Power or something like mm. that, or The 50th mm. Law. So those two books are really good. He's a good author to understand human behavior. Hmm, interesting. I'm going to have to check that out. I haven't heard of that one. Yeah. Now, you have shared a bunch of knowledge already. So clearly you offer services. Um, what services do you offer? And where can people find you to keep pace with your journey? Got you, got you, got you. So um, I start with like my baby that I've been working on for for years, which is the financial literacy um, part of what we do, where we go into schools, churches, prisons, um, wherever we we can to, to teach financial literacy. Um, you, that is a, is a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. Uh, turned into a nonprofit right now. Um, so that's a common sense teacher. You can find that on Facebook and also on YouTube. Um, I'm um, in addition to that, I have a tax firm. Um, it's called the taxteachers.com is where you can find that information. Uh, we are called the tax teachers. So we have that. We do um, bookkeeping and accounting services as well as tax strategies and prepare people's taxes as well. So um, you can find that by looking at taxteachers.com. Um, lastly, uh, we have a podcast called The Wealth Effect where we give and go over in more detail what we talked about today. But that podcast, we've been doing it for two years now, and um, that has been like a rewarding feeling to get out everything that I have learned over these past seven to eight years Mm -hmm. into a space that can be consumed, but also applied. So so those are the three areas that I that I work in from an entrepreneur standpoint. Yes, and that's that's so important. Just getting it out there to be consumed and applied. I totally feel that. You know, and I know even when I started this podcast, I was kind of like, I'm still in the middle of my career, you know, Um, and Mm -hmm. there's a lot I'm still learning. It it almost gets into that. You always feel like I think if you are a lifelong learner, you never feel prepared. You always feel like you need to continue learning more and more. And you should. But at some point you need to start sharing what you've learned with other people if you're called to do so, you know, if that's a part of your calling. That, that, the last part you said about calling, like I've ran away from mine for so long, mm. but it wasn't until I embraced it that um, things start working out in my life um, mm. that that was meant to be. But I, but you have to embrace that calling. And when you called, you can't, you know, hang up the phone. You got to answer because <laughs> yeah. I hung up the phone a lot of times. I was like, nah, I'm good. I'm good. But. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Universe is like, hold up. I'm trying to tell you something. You're not paying attention. <laughs> Absolutely. yes well thank you for taking the time to talk to us today like you just came through with everything we needed for the financial education and you know working with your kids and and teaching them finance and I think that's so important because we not you know we focus a lot I think especially as entrepreneurs on building this legacy for our children but we don't always focus on teaching them how to take that legacy and run with it you know Facts. I agree. I agree. Um, it's you're right. I mean, you're right. And thank you for having me on. Um, I'm grateful that you uh, found me um, and also that you invited me on to be on your podcast. Thank you. Wow. What a great episode for financial education. Kevin dropped a lot of information on us about the importance of being financially literate, not just as an adult, but also starting with your kids. So I'm going to hit you with five key takeaways that I learned from today's episode. Number one, sometimes to fix a problem, 
you have to start at the source. Once Kevin realized it was his calling to teach financial literacy, he knew that he had to start with children. You know, teaching and educating on financial literacy can be very complex. And sometimes, as Kevin said best, it's easier to pour into innocence than ignorance. Number two, reach kids where they are. Using games to teach complex concepts to both kids and adults worked out in his favor. Taxation, finances, investing, all that can be very hard for an adult to swallow, let alone a child. But when you gamify it, it's easier to consume. Number three, create an environment to allow kids the space to be creative without judgment and without imposing control. Allow kids to be their full selves. Number four, learning to operate outside of survival mode and without a poverty mentality is key to long-term stability as far as your finances. Learn the rules to the game and play it. Then teach your kids the same. From taxation to hiring your family, Kevin mentioned a lot of tips and tricks. And number five, define what financial freedom means to you and make a plan to get there. So Kevin spoke a lot about the importance of being able to have the flexibility to say, I can change careers, I can not work, I can do something else because I am in a place in which I am comfortable financially to be able to make those decisions and not have to suffer these horrible consequences because I've decided to change course. So those are my five key takeaways for today. I hope that you learned a lot from this episode. Please, please, please follow Kevin for more great information on this subject. I feel like we could, of course, turn into a podcast as he did. That's all I have for today. Thanks for tuning in. As usual, make sure that you leave a review on blackzegative.com or Apple Podcasts. Share with a friend. And until next time, keep aspiring to inspire. Thanks for listening to another episode of Black Executive. If you enjoyed listening in on this convo, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you found us. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Black Executive. Have something to add to the conversation? Visit blackzecutive.com to leave feedback and your thoughts could be featured on a later episode. While you're there, pick up your exclusive Black Executive gear and rep the culture. And spread the knowledge. If you know a Black creator trying to go pro, a corporate mogul looking to advance, or a cousin that's always hustling but never gets an idea going, drop them a link to the show. Until next time, keep aspiring to inspire.